everyone, welcome to the most Hi. bestest podcast in the world. I am Prince Devin with my illustrious host. Yeah, I'm Amber Autumn uh, uh, again. And this is the, the podcast where an Amber and I every week meet up to shitpost and talk about a fictional thing and then maybe make a character at the end of it. And today, right. And today we will be covering Kings and or Lords of the Wild. I always mix up the title, a series of fantasy novels by Nicholas Eames. And uh, before I talk a uh, big, big forever, Amber, do you have anything to say? What the fuck is that? Awesome. That's my question. What is that? Incredible. So, <laughs> <laughs> so again, it's a series of fantasy novels, and there are lots of things to talk about, but I think the most important thing to talk about is tone, because... I used to try to sell D&D to people by being like, oh, it's Lord of the Rings, but you get to be the characters. And no, shut up, Devin, that's stupid. No party will ever do that. You're going to tell dick jokes, and it's fine. You hand them Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, or you hand them Kings of the Wild, because no book so perfectly matched that tone of shitpost into emotion, into shitpost, into hijinks that is playing D and D with your friends. It's a wonderful tone that man it's it is gritty without being grim dark and the levity works and it never leaves. And it was one of the few books that I read that I couldn't put down. And sometimes this podcast is an excuse to revisit things, like when we do the Trigun episode, I'll finally get to rewatch that. And sometimes this podcast is an excuse for me to finish things because the first book I could not put down and I loved it. And the second book bloody rose i started a year ago and then i was like well this podcast is my excuse and i finally finished it incredible i'm so glad that i could do that for you personally yeah i did (laughs) i did it so it's a so when nicholas eames talks about the genesis of these books he's a dirty little liar and nicholas you're a very online person I, oh, if you, if you fucking see this podcast, I'm sorry. It's bad. But suck my dick, you lying coward. Big fan of your work, by the way. But suck my dick. Because <laughs> he talks about the origin for this book being, uh, what if fantasy met rock and roll? And you know me, Amber. I care about authorial intent a lot. And you can't ignore all of the musical references that exist within this book. But Amber, real quick, ask me how many music references I got the first time I read these books. Um, Devin, I have a question for you. Yeah, what, what's the about, question? Ab- about how many musical re- on your first read through of this book, about how many musical references would you say that you got? Absolutely fucking none of them. And it was still a great book. So that shit does not matter. That D&D feeling is what drove me on through this book. Um, and it's really fucking funny. (laughs) Like, like it, it was not that it got me to chortle. It got me to laugh out loud. So it's funnier than Bo Burnham's inside. Damn. I mean, not that Bo Burnham's inside was a comedy. It (laughs) wasn't. It's not. (laughs) But boom, roasted. Um, I loved inside for the record. I loved inside. Oh, inside's great. But yeah, music is not avoided because they they call the the parties bands and they'll say this 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 the front man of Screaming Eagles and they have a booker and I'm like I get what you're doing. 
I don't care. So let's let's go over that band and the first book because the first book is the getting the band back together story, um, and it's about hold on one second. And the way they're broken down into members of the band are Clay Cooper, who is your uh, point of view character, who's the bassist because he's the only one who is sober, and he's he's the heart and soul of that first book. And most of the first book, he spends actively wanting the quests to be over because he's an old man and he has a daughter and he doesn't have time for all these drunken shenanigans anymore. And he's called Slow Hand because that's a reference to Led Zeppelin. Uh, then there is Golden Gabe, who is the front man of the band. And he was the reason that I thought more about this book than Mindless Nonsense because Golden Gabe is... Uh, a very sobering look at my best boy Seraphim. For those who don't know, Seraphim is my bard character, and I am far too emotionally attached to him to look at him objectively, and I kind of ignore that I did a genocide. That's fine. We don't have to talk about it. But he's... Uh, Golden Gabe is that uh, heroic bard adventurer character, and it asks the questions, well, what happens when you don't have an adventure? And he's kind of a broken shell of himself and the things he good at do not translate into being a good dad. So it's a very sobering take on my favorite character. <laughs> and I really got into this book because of it. And then there is Moog who is my favorite character. And we're going to talk about him more in a second, but Moog is a kooky wizard who just has spent too much time alone doing crazy shit in his tower. And he's a kooky weirdo and i absolutely fucking love him uh and he's like the he is the other member of the band so your guitarist your hype man amber you've seen the proto man yeah uh devin we literally saw them together exactly. we, were, we were both at that show exactly remember remember kilroy yeah yeah the robot who doesn't play an instrument but he gets everyone fucking hype that's moog moog's Moog's fucking wonderful. Then there is Madrick, who's the drummer. He he has the two he has the two knives. He's a cuckold king and he's great and he was the one who was the thirstiest to get back on the band because he, <laughs> he doesn't like where his life is. Um and then there is uh the there was a black character. A what? There was a black in a in a in Sorry, a Sorry, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, I <laughs> There was one of these newfound Negroes <laughs> in a in a fantasy series written by a straight white man, um, like from Black Panther. Yes, that is where black people come from. <laughs> Galadrian, who was literally the axe man, uh, because he wields a giant axe. Get it? He's the lead guitarist. Uh, and through circumstance that happened through the book, he's the he's the muscle because he gets petrified into stone when the band first break up. So when they get him back, he's hasn't missed a step. So he's the one who's responsible for the big fights. And it's they reunite because Golden Gabe's daughter, Rose, who we learn more about in the second book, uh, formed her own band and got caught in X place and the Heartwild Horde is approaching. And so golden games like we have to get the back band together clay they only listen to you because you're the bassist and the bass is the heart and soul of a band music doesn't work if you don't have a bass gabe please clay please help me get my daughter and hijinks ensue and it's a fun and wonderful romp and i'm gonna real quick 
point out one of my favorite goddamn jokes from the first book, and it was the moment where I was like, no, this is fucking D&D. You can't lie to me, Nicholas. But uh, it's when they're getting Galadin back, and there's a Gorgon, and the author's be and the author's like describing the sway of her hips, and everyone's kind of like, "Am I horny right now? What the fuck?" And then you cut to Madric, and he nudges Clay, and he's like, "You know, I know that Gorgon's turning you into stone as a lie, but I am rock hard right now, <laughs> and I fucking lost it." <sighs> I love that first book, man. Uh, before we move on to the second book, how I would talk... you say you feel about the first book, though? How did what? How would you say you feel about the first book, though? Oh, I love it quite a lot. Before we move on to the second book, um, I want to talk about the Heart Wild Horde and the villains of those books. And don't let me forget to talk about Moog. Uh, I'll be very upset with myself if I edit this and I forget to talk about fucking Moog. But the the reason their their band is called uh, their band is called Saga, but they were they're like surname was kings of the wild because the heart wild horde is like the spooky enchanted forest where all of the spooky enchanted monsters live because this book will just drop every fucking monster from a dnd monster manual it's fucking great um but the villain of the first book is last leaf who wants to unite all of the monsters because his point is hey all they do is kill you if you follow me I'll make sure they don't all kill you. Um, I love that. Yeah, uh, he's he has a good motivation, but he's kind of boring. Um, because the book, the book's like, outside of being a band thing, the first book is about like, kind of like old grizzled vets being upset with the new generation and having it easier. And sometimes it gets a little grainy and like, I get it. Shit was better in your day, old man, because now bands don't go out into the Heart Wild Horde. They go into cities where they have arenas to fight for glory, and everyone's like, this isn't what a band is supposed to be. And I'm like, fuck, I get it, dude. You don't like that the voice is a thing. <laughs> Shut up. But real quick, Moog. So, uh, Nicholas Ames, shout out to you, because when Moog shows up, he's gay. And I was like, well, this is a straight male author this is going to be a joke at some point and it never is and moog's my favorite character because he has the rot which is the it's the dnd disease it's the rot it eventually will kill you turn you to stone or whatever yeah he's a gay he's like he's a gay like from uh fuck i was trying to think of what's I was trying to think of a good thing to like mirror the Black Panther joke from earlier, but I don't I don't know what movie that would be. Like from Love Simon. There we go. Got I was gonna, it. Nailed I was gonna, it. I was gonna say rant. But uh yeah, he's a gay and his thing is he has the rot and he lost his I don't remember if it was husband or boyfriend. He lost his lover to the rot, and so he dedicates his entire life to solving it and eventually he gets it. And so while you're reading the book, there's this uh ticking clock of like the rot spreading to Moog and like Every few chapters, you'll check up on him, and it'll be more spread. And you're like, oh, no, not Moog, because he's he's great, and he's fun, and you love him. And his story culminates when they're in the Heartwild Horde, and they get saved by, like, trolls or some shit. And they just have this thing that can immediately cure the rot. And Moog, who is this, like, kooky, not lucid, borderline and insane person, has this moment of clarity where he breaks down because he realizes that his entire life's work could be easily found by these dumb orcs but it is more than that because it's also the realization of yeah i've wasted my life on this 
but now I have the means to make sure no one has to waste their life and no one will ever lost what I've lost. And it was the one moment in the book where, like, it really fucking got me and I was taken back and I was like, oh, I, I fucking care. I care about these characters, man. It's more, it's, it's more than shitposting. It's that D&D thing where it's 90% shitposting, but then you hit that 25% and you're like, fuck, this is great. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the second book, which isn't as good because the first book had that invisible quality of I couldn't put this fucker down. And the second book uh, put this sh- put that bitch down for a year. But the second book. Oh, called, dear. How many I, of them are there? What, what scale of series are we talking here? I believe it's going to be a trilogy. I th- it okay, might, but right now it's two. Right now it's two. The third one's coming out and that's going to be about cool. like 90s bands. I don't know how interested I am in a third book. Sorry, not sorry. I think you're a fine writer, but I think the first book is better and the second book isn't as good. Because uh, the first book very much feels like he just ad- adapted one of his D&D campaigns and the second book was him writing a story. But it follows Bloody Rose and her band Saga. And uh, your POV character this time is Tam. And Amber, I don't know why I've wasted all this time trying to explain why the book is good. Here's all I have to do to fucking sell you. The second book has lesbians. Well, why didn't you just say that? Right? (laughs) It, in fact, has two lesbians. That's even more than one. That is. Oh, real quick. There was this wonderful running gag in the first book uh, with Lady Jane and the Silk Arrows where, like, every few chapters she'd show up and steal from the band and every time you meet her because she's stolen from the band she's able to afford like better armor and more silk arrows so by the end of the book she's like clad in shiny armor with her whole band she's like yeah i'm gonna start me a band thanks for giving me the money to start guys i i love lady jane and she showed up in the second book and i got really excited um but your pov character is tam and there's this running gag in the first book that bards don't survive because hide behind the pile of dead bards um hey wow fuck i haven't thought about that running joke in a long time (laughs) holy shit bringing it back baby um but tam is the bard of the band but uh and the second book is about the uh unyielding pressure the unyielding pressure of legacy and about not meeting your heroes, not because your heroes don't necessarily be terrible people, but because you'll find out that your heroes are human and that's a hard pill to swallow and finding your place in the band. And, um, let me, I had, I have a note that was this nice description of the bandmates. Freeclad had become a slave to his devotion to Rose. Rose, who had become a slave to her mindless devotion to the pursuit of glory. Kira, who was mad in a myriad of scars and had condemned herself to... uh, Fuck it. We're not doing that. The note was bad. Anyways. (laughs) I appreciate that you made it, though. Like, I don't fucking make notes for these things. You take notes before coming into these. You're the prepared host on this podcast. I do try my best. Anyways, the band of uh, Bloody Rose's band is Bloody Rose, who my quick take for the second book is it's a story about a girl who a girl who wanted to ah, a girl who went out to find herself and found who her dad was. Um, And Bloody Rose hates that she's Golden Gabe's daughter because Golden Gabe was a bad dad. 
And there's this really interesting thing where I think he read, like, a feminist review of his first work and how he wanted to have this strong female character in Rose, but she's kind of a damsel in distress. It doesn't matter how cool you make her at the end of the book. And so her thing is like, yeah, I spent my whole life trying to have my own banded legacy, and then I just became the catalyst for my dad's story, and fuck that old man, that sucks. Um, And she's really cool, and she has to deal with that, and her husband free cloud who's a druin who lore doesn't fucking matter essentially they're like the super badass race who have future vision uh free cloud the enemy of the first book was a druin um but free cloud's a cool dude and his thing is he's uh he's like stoic and wise and he's he doesn't want to adventure but he loves he loves his wife rose way too much uh, he describes himself as a moth who was drawn to her fire they all kind of do it's kind of fucked up how they all follow rose um, and they have a kid, and my favorite thing was, uh, Rose talks about wanting to do something her dad couldn't, and the ultimate irony of Rose is that if Rose had just stayed with her daughter and been a good parent, that's doing something your dad never could have done, and I love that. Mm. I love that little twist of irony with her. Uh, there's Kira, who is an ink witch, and we'll get to her in a second, but she's, like, the, the, like, the snarky one who clearly has some issues have a snarky one yeah she's she's the snarky lesbian who has some issues she hasn't resolved and they get resolved by the end of the book uh there's brune who is this uh wonderful shaggy wizard who's a bear the whole time but he can't control his sham i think is what they call it and you find out why over the course of the book and it's because he's denying his true self uh and he everyone has daddy issues he has to kill his dad and then he gets to find out who he really is and he's a wolf he was a wolf the whole time and then there's tam who's our pov character who uh tam's cool but she's kind of boring her and kira hook up and i want to talk about that real quick because i'm going to complain about game of thrones for a second because in game of thrones jamie and brianne were my favorite relationship and they don't need to have sex they're really the the most impactful part of their relationship is when Jamie knights Brienne because that is it's it's saying I love you without saying it it's giving you the thing you've always wanted and it's allowing Jamie to finally do something honorable it's so much more intimate than if they actually had sex and then the next episode they have sex because the writers are stupid but uh <laughs> so this is a fun fact about my reading experience with the book as I had the audiobook and it turned on in my pocket and it went to this exact phrase of Tam saying, I gave her my heart and she gave me a knife. And I went, what the fuck did I miss? <laughs> and so going through this time, I had context. And what it is, is like, uh, Tam's like, uh, blossoming sexuality is a thing of the book. And she finally is just like, nah, I'm a lesbian. Fuck it. Girls are hot. And she clearly has a thing. For- That's right. That's right. Girls are hot. And she clearly has a thing for Tam. (laughs) She clearly has a thing for Tam. And they're finally going to, like, do it, right? They're going to have the sex. Um, (laughs) Like from porn? (laughs) Like from the porn. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I described what an ink winch is, but Kira's a summoner, and she summons things based on her tattoos. And she's she's oh, drunk. Cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And she's drunk and giving herself her fin- the final tattoo she has in the book, and we'll talk about it in a second. Um, and she's talking to Tam about it, and Tam's finally has the courage to ask, hey, what are your tattoos? And when she explains what her tattoos are, her tattoos are all of the... Like, she had a shit life, 
and like this shit uncle and this shit dad and her mom died one day and this half crazed sailor told her her mom had been swallowed by the sea god and so her tattoos are all of these uh, terrible memories she's had that she is now um the line from the passage was a past she had condemned herself to look at every time she looked upon herself in the mirror um but it's this reappropriation of the fears as her past now as her ultimate saving grace because that's her number one thing on the battlefield is to summon these things and it's this beautiful moment of intimacy between the two where kira can finally open up and share why she has problems with intimacy and all of her baggage and tam can look at her as a whole person and still say no you're beautiful and that they don't have sex because the more interesting part is that um, and that's why, Ta- and that's when like Kira gives Tam the knife and the, I gave you my heart, you gave me a knife and fuck, I like, I'm not going to lie. It's better there, but also fuck you. I had waited a year for those characters to have sex, but then they have sex later because Tam, because not Tam, because Kira's able to get over herself and she can finally accept that there's someone who wants to be nice to you. And it was my favorite thing because they went to the fucking hotel room and it's like, oh, look two beds and I was like I swear to god if they don't have sex I'm gonna throw this fucking phone and then Kira goes to the bed takes everything off of it chucks it out the window and goes well I guess we have to share the bed and I'm like hell yeah Tam fist bumped me through the phone you're gonna fuck and it's gonna be great (laughs) um and I think that's most of what I oh uh a thing I do need to bring up is it's there's a thing where they kind of acknowledge that monsters are a slave class, but I don't know how much of the book is meaningfully about that as opposed to how much of it is flavor text because our our point of view characters who are the good people look at that and go, well, this is fucking disgusting and not good, but enough character, I, which I think highlights like, well, if a few people can go, the thing is bad, but society as a whole kind of doesn't care. The bad thing will forever continue and our two villains... Uh, Last Leaf and Brontide, but Brontide gets bamped like halfway through the book. The villains aren't great in the books, which is why I haven't spent much time talking about them, but their points are, hey, if you work for me, humans won't kill you. And there's this one specific part where Tam looks at a knoll and she describes her life, and I went, oh, that's a, that's a breeding plantation. <laughs> that's fucked up and it's bad. That's a thing that doesn't get taught in our education system. Maybe we should introduce critical race theory so you fucking devils can know you your ancestors had goddamn breeding plantations. So I'm 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 a little bit unclear at this point about how like what the rules of this world are exactly um fantasy wise. Are you um, talking like is it high fantasy is it low fantasy? Well, I I've gathered I've gathered that it's it's sort of like a uh like a like a contemporary magical realism fantasy sort of a sort of a situation. Nah, it's it's a um, uh, it's high fantasy. There's like sky. Sh- my my benchmark for high fantasy is like if your legs get broken, is there a potion? And there is, and there's oh, sky but, ships and shit. So like it's a okay. It's a cool world. Like there's a there's this fight when they go into. Or Galadrian, the Banff motherfucker. Like, the whole first book, they're like, God, I don't want to fight a fucking Chimera. God, I don't want to fight a fucking Chimera. And then they have to fight a Chimera. And it's it's basically it's basically just Gilladon 1v1 in a Chimera. But then they shoot up into the sky because the Chimera breaks the chains. And they fucking shoot the sky. They shoot a Zeppelin. And the Zeppelin comes crashing down in the arena. It's so, oh, God. 
Uh, Nicholas Eames, really good at writing action. The action's engaging in these fucking books. They fight a Simurg. I don't know what the fuck a Simurg is, but it's called a Dragon Eater, and that whole fight's sick as fuck. Anyways. Yeah, I mean, you... that Like, that's all good to know. I feel like like maybe I was just paying attention incorrectly, but I felt like you talked a lot about, about like, character beats there, and I feel like I understand a little bit less about, like, the world that we're working in. Yeah, I I, I did, because, like, the, the lore isn't as important to me as the characters, but... Um, no, totally, that makes sense for you. I just, yeah. you know, in order to make an OC, I feel like I need to have more understanding of... Okay, yeah, let me let me try to do that. So it is a it's a it's a high fantasy but more of a cynical world. So like there are how do I Yeah, high fantasy but cynical world. So it's like you know how Game of Thrones is bleak and depressing and no one tells a joke? Yeah, I do. People some people tell jokes in Game of Thrones, but anyways, uh they tell jokes. Um Oh shit, one of my favorite jokes in the second book is like towards the end, Tam has an uncle who's the reason she got to become the bard for Saga and her uncle gets like stabbed through the liver and she's like, you're dying! He's like, dying? What do you mean? I'm not dying, why would you say that? Okay, if you're not dying, then sing me a song. A song? (laughs) I'm dying! Why would you ask me to sing? I love that. So it is... It is grim because it's about, like, rock stars, and rock stars lead a pretty uh, drug-addled, somewhat unfulfilled life despite being superstars. But it's also fun, and it's important that the fun not be forgotten. Uh, Totally. I'm so excited we're finally getting a chance to make our Gem in the Holograms OC. (laughs) Oh, that that makes more sense than I want it to. (laughs) Uh, yeah, are there any like specific questions no, you have I, that I, I could answer? I I think that's that's I can I can sort of work with that. I I I I can work with that. It does now that I've made the gem and the holograms joke. I am now like, well, what if what if we what if we made the misfits as like our? Um, oh, you want to you want to back to back do a group do a group? We one? don't need to. Do, it doesn't need to be a whole group, but it you know. Uh, if it's about a band, you know, or the, the, the fantasy equivalent thereof, if, if, if like the, if the, if the, the musicality is a huge part of it, I think having another performer make sense as a place to start. You're super right. Um, but real quick, could I just shoot out my idea that I had and we can abandon it. I just liked this idea. No, totally. Let's it's you, you know more about what you're doing than I do. Fair enough. But my idea was, um, I wanted a Beastmaster, but not in the sense of the movie that we both recognize. What a fun movie that is. But in terms of, like, someone whose job it is to get monsters, because that's a whole thing. I forgot what they're... There's a specific word for it, but I forgot. But someone who does that, but they're, like, such a cool badass. They don't have a weapon, and the first time you meet them, it's like a, a manticore screaming. It's like, one second, and they just grab the manticore by the head and fucking headbutt it. And it's like, that's why I don't use weapons. The monsters... I understand the language of violence, and they respect me for it, because they're just so fucking cool, right? They were also going to be a half-orc, and I was going to have a thing where it's like, and we don't super talk about the implications there, because I don't know that the books do, and that fits in the world. Totally. Um, but if you... Yeah. But we can sorry, abandon Sorry for doing like. less shit posting and more just, like, being sincere in this episode than last time. Um, but I am 
I am curious, like, what, what is it about that character that feels appropriate to this setting as opposed to, like, any other generic high fantasy? Um... Like, what is it about this setting that inspired that character? Okay, um, because there is the, like, because my reading of it focuses more on the D&D influences, and by the way, I forgot your name, author of these books, but I got you, fucker. I found the interview where you're like, yeah, I read Dragonlance novels, and I'm like, ah, gotcha, bitch, I knew you played D&D. Um, but, like, the, the undeniable coolness factor of it, like, I didn't talk much about how, like, Clay Cooper's fucking dope, and Gladrian's fucking dope, and, like, Madric the the king, who's a surprisingly good dad. Like, they're all cool, right? Like, all these characters do cool shit. Bloody Rose single-handedly kills a Simurgh, and they're fucking dope. So you have this character who is, like, cool, and kind of, kind of, like, because, like, metal, one of my favorite genres in the world, is this hyper-masculine cool thing but it's also the gayest goddamn thing in the world you know this leather <laughs> class like you like you're what you think like look up like google man of war and tell me that isn't the gayest shit in the world but they think they're the <laughs> coolest motherfuckers ever so you want this like really brawny cool person so i was thinking like this this like just built beefy half orc who just fucking headbutts things in the face and doesn't have a weapon because they don't fucking need a weapon. My guns are the weapons. And I was also like, I think I want this to be the first non-binary character, but also if we're going to do that, I would like to real quick say that our non-binary character can have big, fat, honking titties because the non-binary people I know have big, fat, honking titties and they don't get a lot of representation of non-binary characters with big, fat, honking titties. All non-binary characters are just offshoots of Benny Maru from king of fighters there i said it fuckers fight me no you're right we have a we can totally have a non-binary orc with big titties and bigger muscles hell um, yeah uh with a sort of a vague homoerotic heavy metal aesthetic to them and we um, won't do and we won't do the thing we won't do the straight male author thing where it's like her body was rippling with curves and muscles, and she had both an ample supply. And you fucking gag out loud in the car, and you go, fuck this book. No. Uh, we go, and they were fucking ripped. <laughs> and had huge tits. <laughs> and big, had... big parent milkers. <laughs> oh, I hate that. Oh, I hate that I just did that. I hate oh, that. Big, I'd fat, like to, I'd juicy, like to milky titties. <laughs> <laughs> so i've i have talked so much do you have any places to go or things to add <laughs> you totally have and i appreciate that about you um uh so yeah i think i mean I, I i suggested a performer and here you go you've done it you've you've picked a specific like subgenre of performer to go with yeah so do these do these characters have like literal instruments that they play do we need to give our character an, an instrument you do need to give them a specific weapon because uh, the only ones who have actual instruments are like Tam at the beginning is a bard, but this is the thing I forgot to bring up. Uh, or did I? I don't remember. Fuck it. But like the, there's a running joke in the first book that bards don't make it, and in the second book, Tam is a bard and she makes it, but the fulfillment of that promise is by the end of the book when she does her final bard performance and kind of unites the whole town in a song before the final panel, at the end of it, she smashes her lute because she's not a bard. She's not an observer. 
she's a member of the band and a part of the family. And after she smashes the loot, she has this like cheeky conversation where Rose is like, well, do you want to be a part of our band? You were kind of a shit bard. And she's like, yeah, I think I'd like to be part of the band. Um, so you don't have to give her an instrument, but like a thing like, uh, Maddie is air quotes, the drummer. So he has, uh, two daggers. Uh, Gilladin is the, Gilladin's the ax man. Ha <laughs> ha. Get it. Golden Gabe has this, uh, fabled sword that like kind of swings on its own and it sings, uh, oh, what the fuck? Callan? I don't remember his name. I'm sorry. But the druid from Saga has a ba- has a sword that also sings. So like, uh, they don't need an instrument, but like a signature weapon maybe. But I kind of wanted the thing to be no signature weapon, just your hands, because you're so fucking you're so fucking ripped. It's like, oh, man, awards. It's not gay, but like we're all in fucking leather thongs and we're naked and we're covered in baby oil. But it's not gay. It's not gay, bro. <laughs> it feels like I want to do something with like with their hair is that does that make any sense i don't know like maybe that's just like a hair metal thing specifically i'm not that deep into like metal communities so i don't like i don't like know like maybe i'm just making that up um but it feels like long hair to me um is is like a part of that whole aesthetic scene and it's a pretty common like like visual tableau of fantasy characters um doing very cool masculine things with long flowing hair and it's definitely not gay um yeah and there is like a there's a whole hair thing of like bloody rose uh dyes her hair red because she's trying to cement her own legacy and at the end of the book because the main villain hates bloody rose everyone dyes their hair red in solidarity so she's scrambling through the city one of the parts where i was annoyed in the book is like uh at the end of the book bloody rose because she can finally understand who her father is because she was like you always talked about that band but then i have a band and i get it this is so much closer than a family could ever be and she cuts her hair off so that you finally see the gold of her hair and she's she's found her father and she can get it and then like the last chapter is explaining that to me and i was like dude i got it like you didn't, you didn't like I, I got it it's like yeah so here's a place like, to go it sounds like for that character her hair is like a restrictive thing uh, I more so meant, like, hair's a thing that get brought up, so that's a place you can go with it, you know what I'm saying? Sure, totally. Um, yeah. uh, I just kind of uh, wanted to complain about that, because I was like, I got what you're doing. I didn't need you to explain it in the next <laughs> chapter. Yeah, so, I don't know, it, like, magic hair as a signature thing? Like, it's not a weapon, and that's, like, part of it? Does that make okay. sense? We could do a thing and amber guess what i'm about to talk about god damn it it's wrestling baby but i know (laughs) a a a female wrestler under the wwe banner bianca belair has this enormous braid that she will occasionally utilize as a weapon and she'll whip people with it and that shit looks like it hurts and also if you whipped me with your hair i'm beating your ass but like Maybe it could be they have this dope, awesome, fucking, you know, totally shampooed with the highest quality shampoo's hair that they occasionally use to, like, choke people out or, like, slap in the face with their dope-ass hair. Yeah, that's actually cool as fuck. Can we put some, like, like brass rings in that hair as, like, weapon? Put, like, a tie, like a, like a, like a, like a, fl- like a spiked ball at the end of it as a flail? 
Yeah, it's like you know, you know when you're like when you're fucking when you're head banging and you're swinging it around like they do that when they're surrounded and everyone gets knocked out by the giant. Yeah, ball. yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah. I'm into that. What's 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 their name? How do name conventions work in this world? Their references to bands that I don't have a great affinity for. It's a lot of Leds. It's a lot of Led Zeppelin references. Okay, so what is so um, if we do it to a band that we have an affinity for, we could make it a Proto Men reference, and no one could stop us because it's our fucking podcast, and we can do whatever we fucking want to. We could. They could just be called fucking Roll Panther. Roll Panther the Third. No one can stop us. Kill Roy. We can do whatever we want. God is dead. <laughs> God is dead, and we killed that loser with our podcast. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna package that with a quote with our first episode. <laughs> First first episode in the description is just God is dead. We killed that loser with a pot. <laughs> That's uh, incredible. I'm I'm keeping that. Um So so Panther, uh which could also then secondarily be a reference to Oh, is the band called Sex Panther? They're like a they're like a borderline pair. I don't pair. I, I don't you listen do- to music. I know you don't, but they're like a borderline parody throwback to over-sexualized hair metal, and like all their songs are like just about girls they want to fuck. <laughs> like, but yeah, Panther, pa- Panther, pa- Panther Slayer, Panther. I think that's fine. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Uh, clothing, armor. Is there like a like a like just appearance vibe? I think vibe is pretty clear. So it's, it's metal. Probably a lot of yeah. unnecessary spikes. Some skulls. <laughs> Yeah, metal spikes, leather bracers. Yeah. Um, don't don't question the thong. It's not gay, bro. You fucking black getting... armor doesn't need to be there, but it is. Yeah. Are there any yeah. like? Do we want to talk about like any wants or things this character is chasing? <laughs> any of the important stuff that divides the character. <laughs> Yeah, um, shit. Uh, my idea was you, like, it, the following the 90% shit posting, 12, 20%, is like there's this, there's this beat where, like, eventually someone's like, okay, it's, it's fucked up. You're a monster wrangler when you're a half orc. And then they have this speech about, hey, do you know who my dad was? Fucking no one. Just an orc. But he found a way to let me have a position in humanity where I'm not spending the rest of my life getting getting hunted every night. And if I have to put some of these monsters, and the only ones I go for are the ones that are already animals and not sentient. If I have to do that to make sure I'm not spending every waking moment of my life in fear, I'll fucking do it. Don't you judge me. You haven't lived my life. Totally. And that, that, that makes sense as, like, as a character beat to have. Um, it doesn't feel like a whole character motivation for, like, I don't know, like, like, survival is not usually an especially proactive, dramatic motivator. Um, yeah, you're right. Uh, to have that character make proactive choices. Um, so I'm trying to think, like, 
like what parallels can I draw with like with like music with metal? It's it it likes to be big and operatic a lot of the time. I know it likes to like be very edgy. It likes to think about life and death and these big concepts. Uh, can I can we can we bring any of these in? Can we parallel any of these? Can we give this character um, big aspirations in the world to like to ascend their station to become something greater? Can we make I, them a Disney princess? Um, I, I really want to find a way to tie this into the chains we're on by Dio, which is a fucking slapper of a song. Particularly if there's someone who wrangles monsters. There's fucking... Oh, there's something there. The fucking metalheads would be like, fuck yeah, dude. The chains were... Oh, goddamn. Oh, uh, I just want to talk about Ronnie James Dio. What an absolute king of metal. I wouldn't know. This is I don't fucking I I listen to Taylor Swift. That's who I am. <laughs> what what okay, so what uh I mean it's also your character and we can we can fart. What what in Taylor Swift could you find oh my God. to influence our big Oh my fucking god. Um big metal them. Uh I mean the place with the most ready made conflict and like internal character conflict is like the 1989 slash reputation era i can't fucking believe i'm doing this right now where it's sort of like all this very self-reflexive um uh taylor swift is hurting people and is being a bad romantic partner and she knows it but she's not stopping fuck that's actually that's not bad huh um and i do uh, feel like that ties into kind of like the 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 sellout nature of a half orc hunting hunting creatures of the heart wild yeah, I feel like like having having them be someone who is kind of an asshole and maybe like just has never developed the tools to be kind to people and to like have care in the way that they navigate the world means that like in the pursuit of survival, uh, they end up doing a lot of harm to people more or less on accident without intending to. And they spend a lot of time, like, rationalizing that, justifying it, believing it, like, coming to terms with it within themselves. And then maybe whence the story derives is them um, uh, causing harm in a place that's really important to them in a way that other people haven't been. Possibly through the monster hunting, right, they, they do harm to... A person who is very important to them another orc perhaps um and that prompts them to reconsider like their whole approach in life and whether it's appropriate to do and whether they can like improve and become better uh does that make sense as a basic and you see amber that is why this podcast fucking slaps because i would not have been able to be like, let me think about the discography of Taylor Swift and turn that into a more three-dimensional character. That right there is why this shit works. That's That's just the whole album, 1989. <laughs> and then if you want me to bring reputation in, um, then there's just like a phase when they get like really defensive about it and they start to self-examine, but they like go into a really dark place for a little while. Where they're like, well, if I'm evil, then I'm just going to be evil. And they just, like, sink into it for a while uh, until their character arc leads them out of it eventually through the process of, you know, drama and, and storytelling. 
damn, it feels like we got a character. I like you, Panther. They be- they become a villain. Ooh, that's cute. It's sort of like a reverse redemption arc. Like, it's not just that we see them redeemed. We see them fall. And that makes it so that there is a way out of it that, like, it's not a Zuko thing. It's like if we saw Zuko before he was a villain turn bad. And then we see him wrestle his way out of that. Ooh. Amber, it sounds like we just fixed this. It sounds like we just fixed Kylo Ren. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Uh, except with, just don't, uh, I'm so, I can't, I fucking can't, I can't, I fucking can't, I fucking can't, I fucking can't. I hate Rise of Skywalker so much. I hate it so much. I hate everything about it. I hate it so much. Um, I hate Rise of Skywalker so much. We'll get to talk about it more in the, in the Star Wars month. Oh, fucking hell. Um, (laughs) fuck. Uh, someday I'm just going to do an episode, uh, that's, that's an hour of me talking about why the rise of skywalker is bad in order to do that i would need to watch rise of skywalker a second time i have only seen it once in theaters i've seen every other star wars movie a billion times that one i've only seen once and if i watched it again i would watch it with a notepad and pen in my hand um uh because i don't want to make a habit of revisiting it because it like genuinely hurt me in my real emotions in a way that very few movies do um, or uh, ever have, and no uh, other movie. It's it's my least favorite movie. It's the worst one. It's my least favorite movie in the world. Um, everybody's got their Highlander: The Quickening. Everyone's got their Highlander: The Quickening. That's right. And for me, it's Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. So, uh, it feels like we got a full character. We do. We just uh, do the closing bit where we each come up with a thing for him. Yeah, let's each come up with a thing for him. Um, right. I would like a thing where they're a super big lore nerd where like they're like oh the druins and the first ones and because much as metal has this wonderful pretentiousness uh metal is made by fucking nerds who were way too into norse mythology and want to write poetry about odin but they can't just post that finding an opportunity for us to bring nazis up in this episode we hadn't really done it yet oh i knew we were gonna do it (laughs) We always find a way. I um, look. I I yeah. love. I love Man of War with a burning passion. I understand why their fucking farewell tour was in Europe, <laughs> and why I don't go to a lot of metal shows. Lornerd makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I want. I want them to always wear shoes that make them look taller than they are. They probably already look quite tall, but shoes that make them look taller than they are. And definitely at least one character beat that strongly implies that that's like an insecurity thing. I just think that's thematic with the rest of the characterization that we have there. All right, that's good. Make fan art of Panther with their big muscles and big titties. Oh, man, our fans are going to love this one. They're, this is If anyone if any one of these is going to get fan art, it's going to be this one because people are going to hear like, oh... Huge buff non-binary orc with big tits and bigger muscles. Oh, worm. And people are going to be horny for it and they're going to draw them. <laughs> we, we got the ducktails from me and the fan base will go buck wild for Panther. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Cool. That's that's a character. That's an episode. We did it. S- right. sign, s- sign off. Uh, this has been this has been original podcast. Do not steal. I've been one of your two hosts, Amber Autumn. I have been the other host, Prince Devon. 
Uh, join us next week when Devin tries to get us to talk about professional wrestling, but instead, um, we make um, uh, a gaming YouTuber OC. Oh, that'll be fun. That'll right, be... right? <sighs> we went a long time without talking about Nazis. We... <laughs> <laughs> We're just gonna we're gonna make we're gonna make PewDiePie too. Um, and much like a key component of being a YouTuber is finding a way to monetize your screaming at children, I, Prince Devin, that is me, will do everything within my power to monetize the friendship, the deep, meaningful friendship I have with you, Amber Autumn. That's a good segue into that pit. Good job. We did it. Okay, um, yeah, cool, bye. Love you, bye.